What is up, Cornhole fans? ACL Nation, it's Michelle Thompson here with Around the ACL, joined by Anthony Ione and Trey Ryder. And it has been another exciting weekend of Cornhole. We had our open number eight. And I kind of have a good news, bad news situation here. I didn't get to watch any of it live, but it's because I was playing so much Cornhole. Let's go. Uh, I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let it slide this time, Michelle. <laughs> so I had to watch it <laughs> later on, but... Um, overall, great weekend of cornhole, of course. How how was your weekend, Trey? Anything exciting? Uh, nothing really exciting, but I did get to watch a good bit of it, which was good. Um, I got to see uh, some players I'd never watched before, so that's that's always good to to, to brush up on some new scouting. So uh, with most part, it was good. Cool. Anthony, how about you? Yeah, so I played two this week. I, I told you at the last episode that I was actually going to play in my first tournament. So that was fun. It was fun to get out there and actually rip. But I, I can definitely feel uh, feel the decline, you know, you know <laughs> when, you, when you don't rep as much. But we didn't do too bad. We ended up taking third and uh, went through a couple pro teams to get there. But, um, yeah, didn't didn't get the big pot. It happens. That's that's like infuriating, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't do that bad, but I came in third. <laughs> like, like if you didn't hit the gym for quite a while and then went yeah. and try to like bench what you normally bench, you would be disastrous. And you're like, yeah. well, you know, third, no big deal. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful pro tree. It's okay, you know, whatever. You know. <laughs> yeah, like you just snuck that in there. I mean, we did yeah, go through a couple. That, of I guess teams. that did sound pretty bad, but individually, <laughs> my partner, my partner carried me. Let's be real, he was. Yeah, quiet, yeah. Quiet. Now he's trying to make up for it. So <laughs> just cut him off now. <laughs> All right, moving into the people that do play and get reps in. Uh, let's go into level one singles. Alex Hicks took first, uh, and then Justin Burton Jr. took second. And then third was Noah Almanza and Ryan W. So let's just stop there and talk a little bit about singles before we dive into doubles. Uh, Trey, what are your thoughts about that lineup there? Yeah, I mean, this was, uh, we kind of mentioned it and I talked with Bernie about it on Bracket Breakdown. I felt like this was the open for non-pros to shine. We looked at the, the list ahead of time. We looked at the registrations and the volume of pros attending this open was the lowest that we had seen at any event so far. Now, we still had some high-caliber talent, um, and, and we saw that, obviously, with Alex Hicks winning the entire thing. But for the most part, the depth wasn't there like we had seen. So this was the perfect opportunity to see people like Justin Burton Jr., like uh, Ryan Wiedenfeld, like a lot of these players that are up and coming trying to prove that they can compete and also give us an opportunity to identify some possible ACL pros next season. Right. Yeah. Ryan Wiedenfeld was a top 25 player in open standings coming into this event. Now he wins his bracket. I really think that's going to be a player that we're going to hone in on as someone that could be an ACL pro prospect next season. So really interested to see that. Uh, for the most part, uh, Alex Hicks does Alex Hicks things. But I think the player that I learned the most about this weekend w was actually Dylan Turpin. Uh, Dylan Turpin was a player for me that I said – and I've said this continuously time and time again, it is one thing to win once. It is another thing to sustain success. And so my eyes were dead set locked in on Dylan Turpin. And when he lost kind of relatively early, I almost kind of forgot about him. And then I kept hearing on the live streams, oh, Dylan Turpin wins again. Dylan Turpin wins again. And he just kept fighting. He gets all the way back to Alex Hicks 
and beats Alex Hicks in game one of the double dip. That in itself is validation for me, you know, because in Vegas, we talked so much about how, hey, he beat Tanner Halbert twice in order to win that bracket, advance into the final four of singles. That was a huge win for him. But could he follow it up? He then follows it up by putting Alex Hicks or giving Alex Hicks his lone loss on the day. And he did so in a game that was close. He had to fight back a little bit. He had to hit big shots. He did all of the things right. So Dylan Turpin is now officially on my radar, guaranteeing a top 20 spot in my mind as a player. The question is, now now that I know he's definitely a top 20 player, is he a top 15, top 10, or top 5 player? And each one of those has its different expectations for me as we get into the latter half of, of the season. So learned a lot, got to identify some new faces and uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting open. Hey, this is some big words for Dylan Turpin. That's a win, I would say, <laughs> to hear that from Trey <laughs> Ryder. Now, Anthony, you moved Alex a little bit down on top ten list. How you feeling about that? Oh, I'm I'm still feeling I, to be to be correct. I moved him into the top ten. Uh, Trey was more I accurate. You moved him down. I had him in my top 10. He picks him as rookie of the year. Everybody gives Anthony all the credit, but I had him in my top 10, damn it. (laughs) I could have sworn you had him in the top 10 before. He was in in my top 10, but he wasn't there before, Um, you know, uh, but he's definitely there now. We, uh, you know, Trey was more accurate. Uh, I think you had him at like fourth or something like that. But yeah, just kind of big picture. uh, If I have my numbers correct, I mean, yeah, we didn't get the the depth of pro talent, but there was a lot of baggers there. I think it was 300-plus doubles teams. So if my numbers are correct, um, Trey, you might be able to validate that. But uh, we're talking 600 baggers that piled into Kansas City. And to yeah. speak to open specifically, we have eight open singles so far, and all of them have won by pros. Um, but another close one, a non-pro, uh, certainly threatening to take one of those. And Trey, I think I think you were the one that actually said that all of the singles would be taken by pros and that's pretty much on track so far. Was that you that said that? Yeah. I think one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the season was, was a buy or sell. Every open this year would be won by a pro player. And I, I I bought that at the beginning of the year. I thought that would be the case, but going into it, I'll I'll be honest, going and seeing the lineup at this open, I was nervous that I was going to be wrong on this one. I really did. Yeah. I just felt like, you know, you just have one bad game. And and honestly, we talked about you. You hit this correctly. I gave you the opportunity on Twitter. I said, you could have Jordan Power and Alex Hicks or the field. You took right. Power and Hicks and Power goes two and two. And I'm not really I'm not really reading into that much. It's it's a it's one bad day. I'm not yeah. writing off Jordan Power in any way. But yeah. that's all it takes for a non-pro to just kind of go through that field is you, you just have when you have such a small amount of the field that is or that are pros all it takes is for them just to have one off day and you have someone come in and kind of upset the field and get a big underdog win. So that's what I was fearful of. And, and, and it, 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 we were kind of lucky that in a way that the pro uh, pros continue to dominate in singles. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one more big picture thought and then I'll get into singles is just this youth movement, Mish. I mean, it's real. I mean, the youth dominated this weekend at Kansas city. Check this out. 15 year old Caitlin ham takes down women's. We have 12 year old Alex Hicks taking down singles and then 19 and 20 year old Foreman and Creek Killer winning doubles. So we're really seeing that that youth youth movement kind of fall into play there. But into singles, I'm right there in line with you, Trey. Good run from Dylan Turpin. I think that's further validating him as a contender. And he did it the hard way. You mentioned all the wins. 
He takes an early loss to Carson Getty and then runs almost the full length of the elimination bracket. He snapped off eight wins in a row to get back to that championship match. And to me, not necessarily wins and losses, but when you talk about future champions, I mean, that showcases the grit to really work your way through brackets, even when you're down. So I think that's a good showing uh, for Turpin right there. Joe Neistead, I mean, he keeps showing up deep in brackets. He's now racking up a stack of second and third place finishes in opens. I mean, he's putting up stats that are elite good. For me, Neistead is on radar. Somebody keep him kind of a close eye on him. And you mentioned Ryan as well, Wiedenfeld. I got to see him uh, in person in a regional. He ended up making it to the final against Tay Harris. Tay Harris was extremely hot. He showed a lot of promise, and this was over a year ago. He's known within the community. He's a junior. He certainly uh, got what has what it takes to be a pro. So I'm excited to see what that is moving forward to him. But but just moving into the singles final, like you said, we had Alex Hicks. He goes through Turpin, which was a national bracket winner. He rolled Noah Almanza, an open singles winner, 24 to two, coming out of that bracket, uh, and then smashes this uh, this kid Justin Burton, 23 to two, to take down the ship. Have you heard of this Justin Burton before? Trey? You know, it's so funny you said that. I had not. And then the first thing I did when I saw that he won the blind draw, and then about two-thirds of the way through singles, I saw that he was making a run. I went to his player detail on the website to kind of see where is he playing. He's already got five singles regional wins. In yeah. Yeah, I think Tro's for uh, you froze out on us, but I'll just kind of continue from there. I saw the same thing. We got a 19-year-old out of Texas. I got to talk to Gross a little bit, Josh Gross, and he was basically saying, hey, this kid is, he's been on our radar. He's beat a couple of solid players down here. And the thing is, is he led the entire singles field in DPR out of the entire singles tournament with a 1-1 DPR. And he took second out of the entire field only to Alex Hicks, who threw a 10, so a 10-2-6, so... Man, he kind of came out of nowhere for me. He rolled through his bracket. Nobody scored double digits on him until he got to the final where he gave up 11. I mean, even Jordan Power was limited to nine uh, where he got the win against Power. So I was I was really impressed with that. Um, but kind of just to finish off with, uh, with Alex Hicks, um, we said back in early, or I said back in early December, we will have a 12-year-old on a linear broadcast this year, and Alex Hicks is the reason why. I said... The kid is special. He's the truth. Trey, you had him in your top four in power rankings last weekend. I don't think anything more needs to be said. I mean, he's saying it all right now with his rookie performance. He has full control of every bag, covering every tilt and load. I mean, he can do whatever he wants with that bag. He's the only bagger right now with two open singles championships in 2022. The kid is going nowhere but the top. Mish Trey, I think the next stop for Alex Hicks is ESPN. This kid is nasty. I like it. And to answer your question before my wife, I just said, nah, I'm good, bro. <laughs> um, Justin Burton, I looked up his, his – he's already won five regionals and singles. And if you look at the list of people that he's playing against, it's people like Logan Chamberlain at the National College Cornhole Championship, ACL Pro PJ Sorrow, a number of Texas players and top-level Texas talent. So he, he – He's played against some of these. I, I bet if you ask the people in his region, they'd say, "Oh yeah, we knew that was going to happen. We knew yeah. we knew he'd, he'd make a breakout." So he, he's got he's got some good wins under his belt this thus far this season. Good stuff. 
that tends to be the case, right, in the regions. I mean, up here in NorCal, any of these names aren't surprising to me when they make a good run. Uh, but yeah, you know, you start to look across different states and we're like, who is this person? And then the region's yeah. like, oh, yeah, could have predicted that. Let's go into doubles. We had Creek Killer and Foreman take first. Jordan Power and Shermerhorn take second. In third, we had Jeremy Frazier and Dave Sutton. Tyler Cobb and Kobe Costanza. So those are your double standings. Uh, we'll go to you, Trey. What are your thoughts about doubles? Uh, doubles, pretty chalk, to be honest, right? I mean, maybe some people say, oh, no, second place should have been third place. You know, first place should have been th- whatever. I mean, the, the four teams that we kind of pegged as as the top front runners heading into this Open finished top four. If I had to pick any individual player that kind of stood out to me, um, Kobe Costanza yet again showed his dominance and his rollback ability. I think someone has been talking all over social media with with uh, with Anthony and I. I, I think he, he's got a case to have a top five rollback in the game right now. He's got a case for it at least. So uh, Costanza playing with Cobb, I thought they, they had a really good run. Um, uh, Jeremy Shermerhorn kind of still hanging around there, right? I mean, yeah. right there near, near the finals again. Is he... Is, is he back? Is he is he back there at the top? Uh, I, I find myself convincing myself yes and no nonstop here over the next over the past couple of days. So uh, ultimately, Creek Hill and Foreman, great bounce back. I think that's the messaging I'm looking for anything. Had a rough Vegas. They took a deep breath. They reset. They had a strong performance in Vegas. And I think ultimately we'll see more of that Creek Hill and Foreman at the remaining events, including the upcoming national Atlantic city versus the one that we saw in Vegas. Agreed. Anthony, what do you think? Trey, we got to recognize our boy, Joe Harsh. Did you see him in tier one doubles? <laughs> no, I didn't. I was not <laughs> looking for Joe Harsh. He made, oh, he made it to tier one. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know who um, did make it to tier one? Josh Keck. Yeah. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was expecting a little bit more out of Cox and Fuentes. They finished 13th. Uh, Cox just performing a little bit lower than he typically does statistically. Uh, they had like a they had a 21-20 loss in the elimination bracket, which they certainly would have won if Cox was just throwing his normal bags. Um, but that bracket B final that you mentioned, Costanza, that was badass. I mean, it was the power in Costanza's show. Um, the first scoop of the finals, Powers missed four bags. Or Powers missed four bags the entire match in that first that first scoop. Uh, Shermerhorn was scoring on a flooring Cobb. Cobb was really struggling in that first one. But, man, Costanza was just extra special. He was throwing that dirty style game, like you were saying, at an elite level. He's When, when you're putting up plus 10s and rolling bags like that, I mean, it, you're just next level in that style of game. But the second scoop is where the game got really fun. I mean, it got crazy muddy. There was all kinds of laundry on the board. Everyone's PPR dropped to sevens and eights. That's how muddy wow. it was. And it was all about grinding out a point here and there off of a push, a roll, or an airmail. And Costanza, I, I have not seen that level of dirty game in a while. The first half of that game, he was balling. But what happened was he got about halfway through, and then he fades. Powers kind of picked it up a little bit. He missed a few airmail. He was offline. It was really weird. Shermerhorn was struggling. He kept throwing this block short of the hole, and you got power on the other side just yelling at him saying, hey, flip this bag over to slick side. So that's a good lesson for a lot of of baggers out there. You do not want to block 
an elite level guy like Costanza with a dirty game. You want to keep that as clean as possible. And you can see it in that match with power saying, put the bag in the hole. Don't block this guy. But ultimately they're down 19, four. That's uh that's power and Shermerhorn down 19, four. They came back and win that thing 22 to 20. So it was a really exciting uh, finals in that bracket. But ultimately, like you said, Creek killer and Foreman pulling it out, coming out of bracket a, um, and they win a close final. 22 to 18. So there's your national number one or your your uh, open number eight doubles champ. I was really impressed with Creek Killer's style of play, though. He had this really offensive-minded approach to that carpet-style dirty game. He's chasing the hole. He's kind of thinking, I'm going to put bags in the hole, and when I need to go to a roll, when I need to go to a block, I will do it. But he's thinking scoring first. That strategy really worked for him. He he topped out all of the stats. He had a 10-7-1 in a 1-4-5 DPR through bracket play with a carpet bag. So that was really impressive stuff. Um, Foreman right there with him. I mean, he was he was putting up good numbers, but dang, it was really all about Creek Killer in that one. He was carrying the team, but Foreman did what he had to do uh, to pull out the doubles partnership with them as well. And um, maybe we should mention, uh, just to finish up the doubles, Maddie McBride and Caitlin Ham had a really good run. They actually uh, went three three layers uh, deep into that winner's bracket. So I do want to recognize those young ladies um, doing some work in the open field and doubles. Uh, good job for them. Hot take from Anthony was correct. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I didn't want to be right on that one. I really wanted to motivate uh, Tubby and Tice uh, just to kind of get them oh. rolling in their pro career. Uh, but uh, they came one win short. They were just one layer behind in the brackets. McBride and Ham ended up finishing ahead of that one. Well, there you go. All right, let's run through the rest of the event here for the, bland, the advanced blind draw. We had Dave Morris and Justin Burton once again. Uh, we had Matthew T and McKenna B. And then in women's singles, we had Caitlin Ham in first, Ashley Wicca in second, and then seniors, uh, Steve Schroeder took the win, and in second, Chris Porter. So I want to just throw all those out there. Is there anything that sticks out to you, Trey, in the rest of the event that occurred in the blind draw, the women's or the seniors? Yeah, I, um, I'll, I'll go women's. Really, the one player that I had never heard of, seen anything, Ashley Wicca. Um, I watched her play in – very kind of, I said this about um, Lexi huge back at the beginning of the season, the, the delivery looks athletic and natural. And that's what I look for in a lot of players as they come to the next level, even though ham beat Wicca in the finals, ham had a better performance. Ashley almost looked more natural. Um, and I think when you're trying to identify pro level talent, um, when someone looks effortless and it just looks it, that, that bag pops out of her hand, right? It just, it just flies out and it has that spin and it just looks good. Um, it's just it's someone that I got my eye on now is someone to watch throughout the rest of the year. Speaking of which, what do you think about McKenna's throw? Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch as much as McKenna throw. Uh, oh, well, I, I didn't, I didn't, it was, um, it was unique. Anthony, did you, did you catch that throw? Uh, I don't think I did. Maybe just oh my god! I thought this was totally going to be we were talking about. So her throw—I mean, I, I don't have even name for it. It goes. It doesn't. It's not flat. It's not spinning. So when she throws it, like oh, in the air. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like they oh, were the joking on the comment. It's a tumbler. They were joking on the commentary that the bag the bag had a, a line on it, and the line would like roar into the camera as it because it was just like in its face. <laughs> yeah, that won't I get mean, too far. 
somehow it works. Somehow she's super accurate. She obviously has a natural role because of the way her bag is landing. And um, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty shocking to watch her throw. I mean, she made it far. What are you going to do? All right, Anthony, you want to pick out any one of those, the advanced blind draw or senior or any, or even women's, anything you want to chat about Actually, in those? Trey events? literally pulled the, the, the words right out of my mouth. I did want to highlight Ashley. Uh, everything you said accurate, really impressed with just the technique and um, just how she was able to strategize. Uh, I believe she was throwing a carpet bag too, but it, it was, it was beautiful coming out of her hand. So a lot of potential there for her. Great. All right. Well then let's go ahead and bring on Mike Morton for Morton corner and have him join us. What up, Mike? Hey guys, how are we doing? Pretty good. Hey, Mike. How about you? Living the dream. Doing great. Having a, a, a good time. So We've done a lot of analyzing and digging into some serious stats over the last few weeks. Um, yesterday, I thought I would have just a little bit of fun, if you will. So so this these numbers, this segment isn't going to be terribly uh, hurtful on the brain. So what I did, I cannot wait for national number two. All right. We've got national one in the books. We were all just couldn't wait for it. And now it's over. And now we want to digest it all and then speed to national number two. So what I did was I wanted to get an idea what the bracket might look like at national number two. So there was a lot of upsets. There was a lot of people that finished, you know, especially the rookie class. There's a lot of strong finishes. And then there was a lot of people that didn't finish as well as we thought they might have. And okay, the tournament's over. You take a quick look at the standings, you digest it and you move on. It doesn't really sink in until you look at the bracket for the next tournament where these guys finished and what their seeding is. So I took the time to, to go through this drill of creating a bracket based on the first national. Understanding that this bracket will not be the final bracket. It only takes one person to not show up and everybody slides one slot, you know, from bracket C to bracket B and so on. So this is not what it's going to really be, but it was still kind of fun to just see where people slotted. So um, in bracket A, my first observation is going to be Matt Guy. Obviously, he's the number one seed overall, so number one seed in bracket A. What occurred to me when I, when I did this is he will clearly get the 64th seed, which is going to be a PDC player, which... It's kind of a rough deal. It, it, it really is. If that PDC player is a Jack Gore who came in fourth in his bracket at the first tournament, yeah. he's not, that is not an easy way to go. He would much rather be, I'm sure, seated second or third, or even the first seed in bracket C than the first seed in bracket A, where you're going to absolutely positively get a PDC player. Because we 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 know that at least one PDC player will be playing every tournament. So anyway, that 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 leaped out at me. That is it's not a great place to be sitting is in that number one position. Now, I know Matt Guy and I know he's not really worried about who he's going to play in the first round. Uh, but from an outside observation standpoint, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually funny. We've actually had internal discussions about at some point in the future, actually moving kind of how how basketball does it with the uh, with March Madness actually moving that play-in game for the PDC instead of a 16 seed, moving it to like a 13 or a 14 seed and mm -hmm. just keeping that place in there and doing that on purpose 
so that you don't have that exact same situation playing out. Yeah, I, I could un- I could understand the thought process there because it, you know, we had, we had talked about it before that you know it may not be fun sitting up there. Those number one spots depends on who comes out of the PDC, but it really didn't sink in until I actually did the bracket and I'm looking at the at the names and who slots where. So, um, so that was my observation about bracket A. Um, wasn't a whole lot of other observations in bracket A for whatever reason. That was kind of it's kind of a you know, on my unofficial version, it was kind of nondescript. Not a lot of powerhouse players facing each other. Um, not a whole lot of terrible surprises as far as players being higher or lower than maybe they should be. Um, but moving on to bracket B, again, my unofficial version of the bracket, which will never be the exact bracket, but Connie Altice, the hard luck girl, she played Eric Zockline in the first round last time. This bracket's got her going up against Austin Schlobaum, thanks to her coming in as the number 48 seed. So I don't see her as a 48 seed talent, but she's being rewarded with playing Austin Schlobaum, which is a uh, 17 seed. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. There's going to be a few players like that. Yeah. I don't know if you looked on the doubles side. Um, I looked you, at the doubles. I didn't chart it as deeply as I did the singles, though. Do you know who is dead last? in doubles rankings right now dead last it is duncan clemmer and brandon jones yeah who finished top 10 last season (laughs) which means which means a one or a two seed depending on how things and teams match up all that kind of stuff a A one or a two seed right yeah one or a two seed is going to have to play a top 10 team from last season out of the gate right on there's going to be a lot of that stuff. So some other, other observations that were just kind of fun again to look at. Um, And it also just tells something about some of these players that they finished differently than maybe we thought they would in our mind. Ryan Smith will come in as a 37 seed. Um, That's, that's a little eye opening. He, uh, according to this bracket, will get Megan Maupin. That would be a tough match. But again, even if that's off by one game and name slides left or right, that that talent level is equivalent, you know, to no matter who he plays, he's not going to have an easy match. Um, Maya Cup comes in at 42. So she's got Lowen Reams in the first round. And James Baldwin comes in as a 34 seed. Wow. So a little surprising there. Um, he'll take on uh, Caleb Franklin in that bracket. So just a, a little yeah, bit. I believe of- Cody Henderson will be close to a four, you know, a 30. He's 49. Cody Henderson is <laughs> Cody Henderson is in bracket D. I was saving that one for last, but Cody Henderson, get this. Last time he played Birchfield in the first round, right? He will be a 48 seed this time. Cheyenne Renner is who I've got him playing. <laughs> Cheyenne Renner <laughs> had a tough matchup against Alex Rawls last time. So hey. the difference is that she made a little bit deeper of a run in the loser's bracket after losing yeah. you know, early. And Cody wasn't as fortunate. So now they end up at the top and the bottom of the bracket and potentially could play each other. Yeah. That Jeff be- Reynolds had that Jeff Reynolds had that dumb draw too going 0-2. So he's he's got to be like a 50-something seed. Jeff Reynolds comes in to bracket C as a 50 seed. And I have him jotted down here as a note. Justin Stranger is who he slotted to play. That's not so, fun either. Allison Peters, 52nd. 
She'll get knee wow. step in the first round. Um, Jeff Reynolds was not a happy camper after his loss. <laughs> I bet. He's going to be coming in motivated. Tell him. <laughs> Uh, some uh, some other fun matchups I found. Derek King comes in at fifty two. He gets John Kitchen at thirteen to to start his tournament. It's off. so funny. You could almost reverse those, and people you could. may have thought like if people may have thought that was the way it was people go. We weren't sure on John Kitchen. We weren't sure on Derek King. Right. Yep. Uh, Mike Ferreira is going to come in as a six seed, and he gets rewarded with Philip Hayden coming in as a fifty nine seed. <laughs> 59 for Philip yes, Hayden. Sir. I didn't realize Philip wow. Hayden had such a per- bad performance in the first national. Wow. Yes. That and that's why this was interesting because again, you you pay attention to the the top half of the bracket, but if someone's in the bottom half, you just don't really digest where they are in that bottom half. And now this is where you'll see it all. Um, hey guys, you don't have to have Tony uh, Smith for- on there, do you? I do. Um do you remember what place he came in? I think it was like roughly 20th, maybe 30th. It wasn't um, that great. He came in as a 26 seed, and I have him slotted to play the 39 seed, Jareth Nichols. Yeah, Tony Smith was a little disappointing there at first national. Yep. He blames and me on, for overhyping him. On final <laughs> rank, do I have it right that everyone gets to drop one national, so it's the three top three or four? Okay. Yes. Yeah, one thing I always I always preach though, you could argue that the first national is the most important because if you start at the first national and don't have a good finish, then you get a bad seating for the second, a bad seating for the third, and then maybe you get caught up by the fourth national and then into worlds. But you're fighting against it the entire you're, you're fighting against the current the entire way. Whereas if you if you finish at the top five at the first national. You get a top five seed, the second one. Your road's a little easier, and then you're a little mm-hmm. easier, and then a little easier. So it, it, it just that first national, if you do not perform well, can really make it difficult the rest of the way. Which is exactly what these these potential bracket matchups are showing. Um, real quickly, going through just a few more that I jotted down. Um, Cameron Belvin, another 59 seed, um, and she will get, according to this, her pro partner. Trey Hunt. Oh, jeez. Oh, yes. That's not fun. <laughs> That's going to be no, not fun at all. Um, Yikes. Let's see. And then um, two more fun ones. Uh, Jamie Graham coming in as a four seed. He did well. He did well there. He would obviously like to have done better than fourth, but um, Lester Price in the first round. Again, we all know Lester's been, you know, he's been off a little bit, but he's still a dangerous player to play in the first round of any tournament. So uh, even look at the double team. side for Lester Price. Lester Price and Corey Morrison, I believe, went 0 and 2. Yeah, they're at the I line. know. Yes. Woo. And then the last one that I that I jotted down to to point out, because Bob Vonch had travel difficulties and he wasn't able to make it. Ah. Uh. Bob Vonch sinks down to the bottom. I've got him coming in as a 63 seed. Now it's going to depend on how many pros don't show up. You know, he may slide up to 62 or 61. But, you know, if everyone shows up, I got him down as a 63 seed. And he will he will get Duncan Clemmer. So Clemmer and Vonch in the first round. All right, now you got me all interested in when the real brackets drop. When do those drop, Trey? <laughs> uh, registration closes Friday. They'll be available next Monday. Copy that. One more week. We can All wait. Right, so well, that's that's really interesting. Thanks for doing that sort of mock 
situation for us, Mike. That's fun to dive into. Yeah, it was, it was kind of light. It was kind of light. I didn't want to get too too in depth. We're halfway between the, the the first national and the second national. I thought we'd just take a look at it real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. All right. Take care, guys. See you next time. Our real quickly news around the league. We had the Maryland State Championship and the Bag Mania Regional event. The Bag Mania Regional event seemed to be crazy for some reason, attracting talent from all over. I'm not really sure if that's <laughs> typical. I don't. It just seemed odd as a regional. Um, but I got to give a shout out to my boy Lightskin um, in advanced singles taking third. There we go. Coming up for it. You know, we, we asked went about. Through, uh, I think he went through Trey Birchfield to get there, too. That's a big win for him. Did. Yep. Huge win for him. Um, but in for the Maryland State Championship, we had Mike Hoffman and Justin Stranger, or Mike Hoffman first, Justin Stranger second, Matt Mendelson third. For doubles, Leston Allen, Justin Stranger take first, then Matt Mendelson and Greg Palos take second, and then Ricky Garrison and Betsy Schmidt take third. For the bag mania where apparently everybody needed to go, we had Trey Birchfield and Ryan Windsor take first, Noah Wooten and Tony Smith take second, Cameron Belvin and Hunter Thorne. I mean, these are big, huge names. It's just a strange regional. Um, and then advanced singles, we had Tony Smith take first, Ryan Windsor take second, Bill Hadley take third, and then my boy Lightskin. So that's what we had going on around the league. And now we're going to roll right into contender or pretender. So I'm going to read a pro team, and then you guys are going to debate whether the team is a legit candidate to win the pro team championships. And we're going to start it off with the Woodchucks that went 4-0. What do you think, Trey? Contender or yeah, contender? Yeah, con contender. I mean, that's easy, right? They're 4-0. But some things to look out here. I went through all of these, uh, a lot of these teams, right? The Woodchucks had a bunch of people. They had nobody go 4-0 which I thought was interesting. The team with the best record did not have an individual team that performed better than everybody else, which was very unique and very interesting. Even their best team, Graham and Renner, they go three and one. So they don't win every game, but they also had three and one from uh, Brandon Davis and Sean Markov, Andrew Labrador and Nick Williams, um, Tyler Cobb and Derek Holland. All those teams go three and one. And here's the other key that I want to see. I looked through all the different teams. Most of them kept their core pretty much the same through all four games that they played at the first national. And then you had some rotation kind of in the bottom half of the game, getting some PDC players in there, some lower level pros trying to mix it up. I'm going to call those others. And as we go through the rest of these rankings, I'm going to call those others. The Woodchucks others went three and one. Huge performance and wow. productivity from the bottom half of that lineup, and that's ultimately why they're four and zero. Got it. What do you think, Anthony? Contender or pretender for the Woodchucks? Yeah, definitely contender. And I kind of look at this team as the rookie team. They're rookie heavy, uh, at least in their their for their top sixteen. They're seventy five percent rookies. But like you said, Trey, they rolled twenty one and seven, so they only lost seven games out of the twenty eight, and the only team to seven zero. Another team, I, I they took the Lumberjacks down 7-0, I believe. So, yeah, contender for sure. I think out of all the teams, the, the, the most contender. Nice. All right, how about the Aviators? Contender or pretender, Trey? This is contender, but I got a little bit of a, a worry here. An asterisk? A little <laughs> bit different than the Woodchucks. They had three teams, three doubles pairings go undefeated, go 4-0, did not lose, mm. okay? 
So that those four teams, Justin Stranger and Cody Henderson, they're, I would say, probably their top team. They're number one. Then you had uh, Nate Stevens and Austin Slobon go 4-0. That's kind of a sleeper team that I didn't see, one, pairing together, and two, going 4-0. Here's the kicker. Their bottom, their two of their last four picks in the draft, Todd Bridgman and Steven Wendling go four and O at the wow. first team's event. Huge production out of there. Now, the problem that I don't that worries me is you're not going to go undefeated with those three teams every single event. I really want to see some depth and some other people going. The Ochoas go one and three. I have, um, uh, a uh, Len Hyatt and another player, uh, a lot of times Kimberly Glass, they go one and three. They were just, I don't know, it felt a little bit top heavy, which worries me because we're going to see some fluctuation throughout the year. I'll say contender, but I'm a little bit worried. Anthony, contender or pretender? Man, I feel like Trey's reading my uh, reading my mind here. Uh, I'm the same <laughs> way. I was gonna I was gonna open up with contender, but I'm not 100 percent sold. I've got this kind of suspect eye. Um, another team that dominated though, they went 19 and nine. No other team got more than two wins on them in the, in the, all of those matchups. I was a little nervous when they lost their sixth round pick. They lost their sixth round pick in Sean Short. Um, you know, how is the rest of the team going to step up with that loss? And when you kind of look at the overall individual talent compared to all the other teams, they were kind of middle of the pack for me. But something is clicking, and I think it's what you were saying right there, Trey, with kind of the you get deeper down the list and those those players are stepping up. Um, and then, and then Cody himself just kind of flipping the switch on, on his personal game, but I'm going to say contender, but with a, a suspect eye. All right. Fair enough. Cutters contender or pretender, Trey? Cutters are three one. and one. Um, I just, I, I, I can't say contender right now. I, oh. just, I cannot sell myself on it. I just, there is no data that I can provide you. I, I just can't. I just, my gut says no. I mean, right now, Noah Almanza is 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 a great value pick that they have on that team. Sold on it. But top to bottom, I just – Eddie Grindersleeve and Caleb Batson have to be nearly perfect on the season in order for them to continue to succeed. And although I think they are a great, fantastic top 10 team, they are going to suffer losses throughout the year. And I think that team can crumble if they don't remain perfect on the season – I, I just gotta I gotta say I gotta say pretender. Anthony, contender, I, pretender. I thought we were gonna I thought we were gonna differ here. Uh, I agree with Trey, pretender, right. and here is why. Here is why. Check this out. They're three and one, but they have no wins against a winning record team. As a matter of fact, two of their wins against zero and four teams, and the other team they went against was a one and three Lumberjacks, and they barely win it. It came down to a twenty eighteen tiebreaker match. So. I had them ranked around 14 and 16 at the beginning. Trey, you had them at a C minus. I think that is still accurate. I think they got their easy wins early. Um, pretender. I think it's going to get a little bit more difficult for them. All right. Let's go one more. How about the skunks? They went two and two. Contender, pretender. I am going to go contender. Okay. This is a wild card for me. And here's part of the reason. That team started 0 and 2. Okay. They finished two and two. Okay. Here's the key. In those second two games, they sat Cameron Belvin and Dayton Weber. 
Dayton Weber and Cameron Belvin did not play in the two games that they won. So you're telling me that they assembled a team wow. that was able to win two straight games with two what I would call left, you know, first half of the draft picks. I mean, Cameron Belvin and Dayton Weber are great players. I think Cameron Belvin had a bad kickoff battle, wasn't up to her standards, and Dayton Weber was still trying to get, you know, into the rhythm of things in his first pro division um, national. So that is that is speaking to me. Caleb Franklin, Noah Wooten, 4-0, and okay? Uh, Dalton McClem and Allen Rawls go 3-1. and They had flashes of really great. They eventually had Harbaugh and Creek Killer playing together. They went undefeated as they played together. They had Bobby Fink and Tony Hughes go 0-4, and they still went 2-2. Uh, two and two. So I think they have potential to actually be a really, really tough team. Anthony, are you going to agree or are we going to go four for four here? No, I'm going to go the opposite way. And I'll make it quick because we're running tight on time. I'm going to go pretender. Um, reason being is uh, they only won against 0-4 teams and they barely lost against one of those 0-4 teams, 21-18. I think Creek Killer is stepping up with his pick. He was a fourth round. He's kind of playing like a first round pick. Uh, but Dalton McClem, a second round pick, I feel like he's playing lower than that. I was on the fence, to be honest with you, but I'm going to go with my original gut uh, on that. I had them ranked around 10. I'm going to go pretender. Okay, fair enough. Let's move on to your power rankings. We're going doubles this week. So, Trey, we'll start with you. Go ahead and walk <clears throat> us through your top 10 doubles players out of this first national. I think I, we made Anthony go first last time, right? So I got to go first this time. Is that how it works? <laughs> right. All right. My power rankings. Um, I I went a little bit more recency bias here than I think I normally do. Uh, so so got to take that with a grain of salt, I guess. Number one, I still have Jamie Graham and Matt Guy. Still think they're the best team in the country. Cody Johnson and Kyle Malone, by all means, I think they they can continue to to, to win and and they'll move up my power rankings. But right now. Jamie Graham and Matt Guy are just, I just think they're the best team. Matt Guy's the best player in the world right now. Jamie Graham is right up there. I just think they're going to be too hard to beat when it comes down to it. Um, so I got them number one. Number two, I got Alex Rawls and Trey Birchfield. Both on the single side and the double side, these players are playing at the high level. Um, they make a broadcast. They make a final four. They get all the way to the end, and uh, they just come up a little bit short. But honestly, I didn't think Trey Birchfield even played his best game. I think Alex Rawls was a little bit nervous on that ESPN stage. But they'll figure that out. I think they're their second-best team right now. Number three, uh, Jay Rubin, Jordan Power. You know, my pick originally to be the team of the year. I think they're right there. I think Jay Rubin still actually came out a little bit slower than people anticipated. But by all means, he's got a runway. And for them to come out a little bit slow and, I mean, slow and finish third, I mean – Still got to be, you know, team of the year candidates. Number four, I think, is where I start have a little bit of recency bias. I got Cody Johnson and Kyle Malone. They jump into my top five all the way from there. I mean, hindsight's 2020, but they did win a conference event before that first national. So, you know, them getting they had some momentum that we just weren't really paying too much attention to. So I think they deserve to be in that top five. Five, I got Renner and Baldwin, the only team to beat Cody Johnson and Kyle Malone, the team to win the national. Um, early uh, and, and at Vegas. Now, if Renner and Baldwin aren't in the same bracket as Johnson and Malone and Graham and Guy, do they make the Final Four broadcast? They might. 
so they're gonna they're, they'll they'll be tough to beat. Number six, Windsor and Herrera. Honestly, these guys should be higher. I didn't like that they didn't win their bracket. Uh, you're supposed to win that bracket. Yes, Storm Hogue, Jacob Trudinsky were great. But Ryan Windsor is Idra Herrera. You got to win that bracket. I'm sorry. You just got to win it. And they didn't, so I dropped them down to six. Seven, Derek and Josh Holland. Dominant at times. I think they're making a splash. Really surprised me. Really impressed me. Number eight, Zockline and Halbert. I think Zockline played a poor performance in doubles at the first national, and they still finished 13th. If Eric Zockline can get anywhere back to a semblance of what he normally can be, that team is going to be deadly, especially with Tanner Halbert throwing well. Nine, I have Hogue and Trzinski jumping into the Oh, yeah? So, okay. very dirty style game. Again, recency bias, but I really like the energy that Trzinski brings and he reminds me a little bit of James Baldwin. Get him on the main stage, put him under pressure. He actually performs really well. What I like about Storm Hogue is he played well enough at that first national to get them there. And if they can repeat that chemistry, similar to how Renner and Baldwin will have to do it, they'll be there at the end. And number 10, a team that's way down the way down the rankings, but you can't convince me that Brett Guy and Eric Davis are a not top 10 team in the world. I don't care what their ranking is. They're a top 10 team in the world. I have them slotted in the last possible position that I can as a wake-up call that they have to deliver at the next event. All right, Anthony, let's hear your top 10 power uh, we're, super, we're super close, Trey. I think we have two that are different. Uh, so number one, we're going to share the number one. Actually, let me go real quick. Who fell out of my top 10 list? And I'll go quick. I see us running out of time here, Mish. Five people fell out of my original rank. Again, we're, we're talking about recent, uh, you know, who's hot right now. Um, Tony Smith and Noah Wooten just falling out. I think they're like a number 11 right now. Eric Anderson and Ryan Smith, I had in the top 10 at the beginning. They're falling out. Cody Henderson and Adam Hisner, you know, just based on their hot and cold kind of streak lately. Batson and Grindersley falling out for me. I had them in the top 10. They lost to Lang and Nichols. I think you got to win that game at the Nationals to be in a top 10. And then actually Eric Davis and Brett Guy just fell out of my top 10. That's one of our differences right there, Trey. So number one, we share that one. Jamie Graham, Matt Guy, they take the keen seat in their bracket in Nationals. Obviously, uh, uh, Hendrick, or um, uh, Cody and Malone were just super hot, double-dipped them, but they're still a number one team in my opinion. I brought Isidro Herrera and Windsor back. Uh, you said they should be ranked higher. I did rank them higher. Um, they took second in their bracket. They were in the king seat, but they did take that loss. I agree. They should have won that bracket, ultimately taking second. Trey Birchfield, Alex Rawls, you had them at two. I've got them at three. Um, they've got two open second places, win their bracket, end up on the ESPN broadcast. They're certainly top three. Jordan Power and Jason Rubin, I also had them. We had them in a very similar position there. They've got a second place in an open. They've got a bracket win in the national. Strong in both singles and doubles, definitely top four. Holland, the Hollands, Josh and Derek. And, and why they're here at five for me is just Derek. I think he's really stepping up his game right now. Josh Holland, we knew what we, we he's get, we're getting what we expected from them. Um, they were one, they were in the bracket final in their nationals, just couldn't pull off that final win. They made a deep run at a nationals. Six, Baldwin Renner. Uh, they were in my top 10. They got an open singles win. They took third in their bracket. They actually put Malone and Johnson down at the nationals. They won that 27 to 9. And then, as we know, uh, those two came back and won the whole thing. Um, so I got them at six. A new one coming in for me at seven. You already said them. Schlobaum and Modlin. They just keep creeping around second and third and fourth. They're on the verge of pulling out some type of a podium appearance. 
Um, I've got them at seven. And number eight, I'm also bringing in Johnson and Malone. Uh, recency bias. We got the champs. For me, it, yes, they won it. I think that they deserve a top 10, but it was really the way they performed against Guy and Graham in that double dip to win that bracket. They're, they were statistically off the charts. I mean, you couldn't help but put them in a top 10 just based on that performance there. At number nine, I'm bringing in, they weren't in my original 10, but I got them at nine, Halbert Zockline. It was Zockline that was a wild card for me. I couldn't give them the top 10 at the beginning, but Tanner's killing it right now. Zockline's doing enough to get them at a top nine. It's really going to come down to Zockline, how deep they go uh, this season. And this one I'm kind of stretching a little bit, Trey. And I'll just talk about them individually. And it's really based on their singles performance. I'll just describe them in singles, and then I'll, I'll drop who this team's going to be. Player number one, you're talking about an open champion. He took second in an open. He's got a national bracket win. That's player number one. Player number two, you've got a second place in an open, a third place in an open, and he was one game away from the final in his singles bracket at the nationals. You put those two guys together, and they could be a serious team. I'm putting number 10, Mark Richards, and Philip Lopez. I think that they're kind of a sleeper team that I'm creeping into that top 10. Uh, yeah, I got them. I, they'd be in my top probably 13. <laughs> okay, okay. Good pick. Well, we shall see if you guys change that again or if these people can hold their spots. All right, let's move into holy hot takes. So you got a hot take, Dre? Yep, I got I got one. Lexi okay. Hugeback and Ashley Wicca are the two most impressive players in the female side out of the non-pro division this year, and they become ACL pros next year. Nice. Oh, that's that's Anthony. All right, I've been kind of building on this one. It's time to go big. Um, I said in the past, you know, Alex Hicks is going to win an open, and then I said he's going to be on ESPN. Well, it's time to say Alex Hicks is going to win his bracket at the next Nationals in Atlantic City. That's my hot take. I knew you were going to say that one because I was thinking of doing it, and I changed mine too. At the Bag Mania, NorCal really represented. So I think we're going to see a NorCal player win their bracket at Nationals. She is so biased, Anthony. It's, it's unreal. It's unreal. It's unreal. It has to be because we're underrepresented on the West Coast. Someone's got to do it. That's what I'm <laughs> you here put for. Down, Michelle. You do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we got today. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much.